Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went towards the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. This is the word of the Lord. Man, you may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, choir. And you know what? I've got a whole lot of thank yous to do. Wow, you guys look nice today. And just to clear up any rumors, a lot of people have said, yeah, Pastor, you look nice today too. Well, this is a rental, so don't get used to this. This is uh... <laughs> Holy Week is a big deal around here. It has been for 20 years or so. It's a big deal, and and it started last week with Palm Sunday, and we're grateful, we're grateful for all of those who were a part of that little march that we did with all of our kids, so thank you to all of our children's workers. And then we got to Thursday night. I don't know how many of you got to be here Thursday night, but man, that was great. We did, a, we did a Seder supper for the first time around here, and we had 54 RSVP, but we set out spots for 75, and we stopped counting after 130 of you came, so thank you for that. It was just a great night. Thank you to Dr. Bratcher and Robin Stevenson Bratcher for all of this. Just a great night. And then Friday night, Friday night, our Tenebrae service, uh, one of my very favorite moments of the year, just the choir was great, and all that happened up here, the visual of everything, we left in silence and in shadows, and it was just a difficult night, as it's supposed to be. And then on Saturday, a whole bunch of folks showed up to help and do all kinds of things, uh, decorate the sanctuary, but also to vacuum the pews and to stain the, uh, the doors and all of that kind of, so if you came to help us with any of that, thank you very much. Thank you for all of those who helped us. And then the sunrise service was great this morning, but it takes a lot of people to set up and then to execute the sunrise service and uh, then to clean up afterwards. And then breakfast was really good. Did you enjoy breakfast? It was really 
really good. Thank you to Rachel and to Jeanette and to Mama E and all of those who helped with all of that. And then thanks to the choir, thanks to our musicians. Thank you, Dr. Rieger, for everything that you do. It just takes a whole lot. How about we just say thank you to all those folks who have helped us to pull everything off this week. It is a big week for us. It is the biggest week for us. And it should be. It should be the biggest week for us. This, this should be the biggest, brightest day on the calendar because without all that Easter means, we aren't us and we aren't here. Without the resurrection, the cross is just the place where a really good person demonstrated great will and great self-sacrifice, but the resurrection makes the cross And all God's people said, it is a really big week. We believe that this resurrection thing is huge, like worldwide. We we believe that when Christ was raised from the dead, that it allowed for there to be the creation of a new kind of person altogether, a new kind of people altogether. The world has a a new reality to, to come up against. There is this resurrection power loose now in all of the world. We believe this has worldwide implications, creation-wide implications. Gracious, we even believe it has sort of cosmic implications. Everything has changed because of this resurrection. Everything that you thought was true before is now challenged because of the resurrection. I mean, think about it. Think about it. The powers were lined up in opposition to love. The people who said the one who dies with the most toys wins, the one who dies with the most power wins, the one who dies with the most authority wins, they all conspired against Jesus who kept saying consistently, no, love has won, is winning, and will win. And they said, oh yeah, let's see about that. And so they threaten, and they threaten, and they threaten. And then they finally arrest, and they beat, and they humiliate All in an attempt to say, no, 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 love is not first place. Love probably isn't even second place. There's lots more powerful ways to demonstrate power than love. All the while, Jesus was saying, no, 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 love will have its say. Love will have its say. But power did its worst. In fact, power did all that power could do to silence love, and they killed Jesus. And we left here Friday night in darkness, and I heard some of you crying. We left here in darkness and in silence Friday night with this deep impression that maybe, maybe things aren't great. Maybe, just maybe, power does get to have its say. Maybe this was an idealist, maybe these are our idealistic thoughts and dreams. Maybe, just maybe, It won't work out. And then, the resurrection. (laughs) And then the resurrection. And everything changed. Even, hear this, it's so big that even your sense of reality is challenged. What's real? What's big? What's small? What's strong? What's weak? What's rich? What's poor? All of that is turned upside down because of the resurrection. It's so big, you guys. Now the Jews, they thought that something like this was coming that would establish a new kind of reality. 
They had taught this from the very beginning. They believed in a resurrection, a sort of a general, large-scale resurrection that would change all of creation, that would change everything. This is what Jesus was talking about when he says to Martha, listen, I know your brother has just died. I know. Martha said to him, yeah, but if you'd have just been here sooner, we think you could have something, done something about it. Jesus responds, yeah, but you know that whole resurrection thing that we've been talking about for ages and ages and ages that's going to come at the end of the age, Jesus said, had the audacity to say to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he said to her, do you believe this? And she said to him, I'm sure, while patting him on the arm, sure. You, you bet. I love all those old songs, too. I love all those old lessons, too. And yeah, I believe that in some sweet day, she may even started to hum it, by and by, that all of this will come to fruition Jesus, and then Jesus, who said, no, 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 I am the embodiment of that change to reality itself. I am the embodiment of that challenge to the way that you think the universe and all of creation is knit together. I am the embodiment of that new kind of truth. Jesus said, Lazarus, show her what I'm talking about. And out stumbles Lazarus. Now, Still kind of mummified, still kind of wrapped in the clothing of death, but Lazarus comes out. And I kind of want to believe that Jesus went over to Martha and said, this is what I'm talking about. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the means whereby, says Jesus, everything will change. Pause button. I think it's possible for some Christians to live only in the shadow of the cross and not in the light of the resurrection. Meaning, I think there are some people who can live their entire Christian lives just knowing that they're supposed to feel guilty for the things they can't stop doing. And they need the cross. They need some means whereby they can feel less guilty about all the things that they can't stop doing. And so there are some people who can live the entirety of their Christian lives without the resurrection. I guess another way for me to ask this question would be this. What difference does a resurrection make in your life right now? Is anything different in the way that you go about your life, in the way that life goes about life? Is anything different because of the resurrection? It's supposed to be big. It's supposed to be so big, so big that it changes absolutely everything it's so big, so big, that whole musicals have been written about how big it is. Like the Hallelujah Chorus. This is how big, this is how big it's supposed to be. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ. And he shall reign here forever and ever and ever. A quick public service announcement. At the end of this service, let me see just a quick show of hands. How many of you have ever been in a choir where you sang the Hallelujah Chorus? Let me see your hands. 
that's going to be a good-sized choir because I'm recruiting all, I'm deputizing all of you now to come to the front after this service. And Tamara's going to stand out there and Dr. Rieger's going to play the pipe organ and we're going to sing. That's going to be our benediction song today, the Hallelujah Chorus, because it is, you guys, it is that big. It changes everything. All of creation, all of reality itself is changed. It's that big. Is the resurrection big enough for you? Now, I know some of your stories. The question that you're asking today isn't so much, is resurrection big enough for all of creation? You are very good theologians by and large, very good. You and I have the capacity to stand at a distance and say, yes, we believe in the resurrection. As a matter of principle, we believe in the resurrection. God has done really big things out there. The question for many of you is not, is the resurrection big enough? It's, is the resurrection small enough for you? For you, for Monday. Yes, <laughs> yes, God has done something enormous that has changed reality. I get it, John, stop screaming. I get it. God has done something that's creation-wide, but i got to go to work tomorrow. But I've, I've got something to deal with at home. I have this disease. I lost my job. I'm watching a relationship deteriorate. Yes, I get that it's big. I need for it to be small, small like me. Is the resurrection small enough to enter into your imagination, to enter into your situation, to enter into your context and enable you to understand what we understand about resurrection writ large? You see, what I'll say to you and what you agree with is that because of the resurrection that makes a difference on a creation-wide scale, <laughs> those who would make war will not have the last word, Amen. Natural disasters, as terrifying as they are, because of the way that God has reached in and reorganized all of creation, natural disasters won't have the last word, amen? What about this? Global systems of exploitation, global poverty, all of that, because of the resurrection, you and I can look at one another and high five and say, that will not have the last word. We know that those things won't have the last word because of the resurrection, amen? Yeah. But is the resurrection small enough for what I'm facing when I look in the mirror tonight. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, and by the way, all four gospels hold that it was Mary Magdalene who really risked her life to go early, early to see the body. Mary Magdalene did not have in mind the resurrection. Now maybe she'd heard the old songs. Maybe she had heard the Sunday school lessons. Maybe she had heard this rumor, but she did not at this point have in mind the resurrection. What she had in mind when she got to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed, what she had in mind was a terrible case of the body snatchers. That somebody had come by and committed crime. 
that somebody seeking to squash this movement, squash the rebellion, she had in mind that somebody had come and committed the ultimate act of humiliation and stolen the body, and there's no telling what they're gonna do with it. And so, not thinking resurrection, she goes running for the disciples. Now, you've heard this story. You heard Rob read it very well. She goes and tells the disciples, the disciple and Jesus loved. Most people think that's John. I like that. And then also Simon Peter. And they go running for the tomb. I have in mind that Peter was a little thick-legged, right? So it makes some sense that John got there first. John gets there first, doesn't go in. Peter storms right past John and goes all the way into the tomb and sees a very interesting thing. Now, if it had been a case of body snatching, they probably would not have gone to the trouble of unwrapping the body. They certainly would have gone to the trouble of unwrapping it and folding everything nicely and putting the head scarf up here and the rest of it down here. They probably wouldn't have done that. Simon Peter goes in. We don't know what he thought. Then the disciple that Jesus loved went in, and he saw it, and Scripture says he saw it and believed, but then in Scripture's next breath, you hear Scripture say, but they didn't yet really understand that Christ had to be raised from the dead. And so considering that something was up, that something was afoot, John and Peter go running away, leaving Mary Magdalene outside the tomb weeping. Remember, she hadn't been in yet. And apparently, her eyes were so filled with tears that it obstructed her vision, but perhaps also her imagination, because that happens. You can be so wrecked with guilt or grief or agony. You can be so wrecked that it causes you to not see clearly. And so, Mary Magdalene looks inside the tomb, and as she wept, she bent over to look, and she saw two angels in white. Did she recognize them as angels? I don't know. They were there where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, (laughs) why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have laid him. Now you have heard me rail against individualistic faith. Let Let me sort of express myself here again. I am not a big fan of individualistic faith. I think there's a problem if you think faith is just about you and your behavior. In fact, faith isn't just about you and you getting to your eternal reward or you finally uh, somehow being able to avoid eternal damnation. It's not just about you. That is an individualistic faith. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you somehow surround yourself with the, with the images of individualistic faith, I think by the time you come to whatever judgment day is going to be, you're going to be surprised and pretty disappointed when God said, no, it's actually about everybody else too. It is not an individualistic undertaking that we're all about as we are people of faith. But that doesn't mean it's not personal. Individualistic, no. Individual, yes. Private, hear this, some of you are gonna really, this is gonna bother you. Private, no. Personal, yes. 
In other words, yeah, it matters what you believe. It does. It matters what you believe. Because if and when you believe the right things, it can't help but get out and help not just you, but those around you. Private, yes. Sorry, private, no. <laughs> Edit that out of the podcast, would you? All right. Private, no. Nope. Personal, yes. Mary Magdalene says, they've taken away, not the Lord. What does she say? My Lord. My Lord. I know some people, and sometimes I am this person, who struggles at this point. I mean, I can make it all work, and the system of faith is so deeply meaningful for me, and, and I am into this cosmic Christ, the Word, the Word that was there in the beginning, the Word that was with God and the Word that was God. I, I, I love all of that, and I'm even really, really a big fan of this Word coming and taking up residence in the neighborhood with all of us, but man, I am so allergic to a privatistic, individualistic faith that that's where I start to kind of shut down a little bit. But I am learning this year, for sure this year, I am learning it this year as I read this particular passage. While this is not private, it is absolutely personal. And this Jesus, this Jesus, where this Jesus does make a change on a cosmic scale, on an international scale, on a national scale, this Jesus also wants to make a change where the person is concerned who stares back at you in the mirror. This is the savior of the world, but each of us as individuals is included in that world part. You need to have a sense of personal relationship with this Jesus. Here's why. I think that's what Jesus wants. When she had said this, verse 14, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But again, tears in her eyes. She did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, look, if you're a part of this plot, if you have carried his body away somewhere, just tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And in response, Jesus said her name. Oh man, look at this. Jesus just made it all personal. Because it is. Jesus took this cosmic, cosmic, creation-wide new truth called the resurrection, and he boiled it all the way down to Mary's size and calls her into the resurrection, calls her to participate in the resurrection, calls her to open her life to the reality, this new reality of the resurrection. It's not just cosmic, it is cosmic. It's not just creation-wide, it is creation-wide. It is also very personal. In other words, it will be everywhere that Mary spends her Monday. Everywhere. So she falls at his feet 
in an attempt to recapture what she has known, apparently still not knowing that now it's going to be bigger and better than it's ever been. He said to her, don't hold on to me because I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Oh, and I love this. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, watch this, does not say here, at least this is not what John says, does not say, the cosmic Christ has been resurrected and all of creation is now changed. I mean, that would have been true, but just not really a compelling testimony. The more compelling testimony goes like this, I saw it with my own eyes. Maybe, maybe she said this too, Jesus still knows my name. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Some of what we do in worship around here, some of what we do is meant to give you a tangible reminder of the presence of the resurrected Christ in your midst. If you were to come later on today for a prayer for healing, we would kneel with you here at this padded altar, or that padded altar. Somebody would come, and they would not just pray with you, but they would take this little funny cylinder of oil and, and put a little dab on it of, a, of it on your forehead. Now, does this oil have medicinal purposes? No, it does not. It does not. Then what's the oil for? Well, this oil, you'll find, is kind of hard to rub off, wipe off. You'll find that it kind of sticks with you and clings to your forehead, perhaps even throughout the day, and that's the point. This God, who, yes, is big enough to be cosmic, is also small enough to be personal. And this God is small enough to stick with you as you enter into your Monday, your Tuesday, oh, man, Wednesday, and then Thursday, and Friday, when you come here to receive the bread and the cup, what are we doing here? Are we just rehearsing a story? We are rehearsing a story. Are we just memorializing? Well, we are, but it's even more than that. You remember there's a story in the Bible, Luke chapter 24, Jesus himself takes the bread, and they had not recognized him as the resurrected Jesus up until this point, but he takes the bread and he breaks it, and then they see him where they could not see him before. They heard him in ways they couldn't hear him before. They were alerted to the reality of his presence in a way that they were not aware of before. And when you come here, that's the best thing that we're doing. We're alerting you to the God who is present, but maybe hidden at times. Hopefully, somehow, in the breaking of bread, and the sharing of the cup, you develop the capacity to see this different reality, that the one raised from the dead is present in your Monday. This one, this one will not allow for cancer to have the last word will not allow for bankruptcy to have the last word. Will not allow for your depression to have the last word. Will not allow for your indebtedness to have the last word. 
will not allow for the fracture in your family, the fracture between friends. This resurrection is coming in small enough packages to have a say in your individual sense of ache and anxiety and pain and despair and distress. And he is saying to you in those situations the same thing that the cosmic Christ is saying about global poverty. Here it is, Jesus says, I will have the last word and no other. And so, like during the Lenten season, we had a, a particular observance of Lent, and, G, and Jason led us beautifully through seasons of silence. Remember that? We're not doing that during Easter. What we're going to do is we're going to do something else to give you a tangible reminder of the presence of the resurrected Lord in your life. We're going to do blessings. <laughs> There'll be two of us over here. Today, it'll be Aaron and Britt over here, and it'll be Jason and Lisa back there at the back. And here's what they're going to do. You're going to walk up, and maybe it won't go like this, but in my head, it could go something like this. Wow, I can kind of get that there's this cosmic sense of resurrection. I kind of need it for my Monday, though. So can you do something for me to help me understand that the resurrected Christ goes with me into my Monday? Then Aaron or Britt or Lisa or Jason put a hand on your shoulder and read a promise for you that will be a blessing, and then they will hand that promise to you. And I hope that you will take it and stick it in your pocket, stick it in your purse, put it up on the fridge, whatever. But I hope that it will be throughout the week the tangible reminder that the resurrected Christ is so big and so small. Your size. Your size. And so it will go like this. We will have our normal... Eucharistic ritual here, and then as per usual, people will kind of file off from here and find a place to pray. If you're in need of a prayer for healing over there or over here, if you'd like to come by and remember your baptism, there's a pool of water here, but then there'll be another stop today. If you would like to have a blessing, another offer of another tangible reminder of the ongoingness and the reality of the resurrected Christ in your Monday, then that's available to you as well. Two over here underneath that exit sign and two in the back, back there. If you're helping us today, please come and help us set this table. We take communion around here by intention and there are so many of you who are visiting today. Let me tell you what this means. In a moment, I'll ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pew. Everyone will exit your pew to the left. And then come forward with your hands cupped, your hands cupped. As you approach someone holding a plate full of bread, that person will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you and snap off a piece and place it into your hands. But don't eat it just yet. Dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. Dip it into that cup. That person will then say to you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And God, with them, show us that you're alive. Open our eyes to your presence that continues to challenge and change reality. I know so many of the stories 
that you have dragged into this room with you. And like we've said about the oil of healing, it's not that it has medicinal purposes. It's not that somehow everything will be cured and conquered as you participate. I hope that's the case. And hear me, God can do whatever God wants to do. And I've seen those kinds of things happen too. I would say more often than not, what God says to us is not, I'll make sure that bad things never happen to you. That's not what we hear very often, if ever. What we hear is, no matter what happens to you, I, says Jesus, the resurrected one, will go with you even there. So that, says Jesus, no one and nothing will have the last word except me. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of it, every time you eat of it, remember me. And later on he would take the cup one of the four cups that we heard about at the Passover, I think it was the fourth one. And he said, and we drink in hope and in anticipation of what will be. He held that cup up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant now shed for you. And every time you drink of it, remember me. So one more time. In a moment, I'll ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped, approaching people with bread and cup. And then I wanna invite you, after taking the communion, to find a place to pray. Maybe it'll be at one of these front kneeling benches and someone will come and pray with you. Maybe it will be at those side padded altars and someone will come and pray with you then as well. And then you'll have the opportunity to either come here to remember your baptism or to go over here to Aaron and Britt or back here to Jason and Lisa for a blessing, a blessing, a tangible reminder of the resurrected Christ who goes with you into Monday. Monday. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord. All across the sanctuary now, if you would, stand to your feet. Exit your pew to the left and come forward with your hands cupped. If you can't come to us, McCall and Katie are coming to you. And you are all welcome at this table. If you know of your need for grace, you are welcome. None are compelled, but all are welcome. Forgiveness was brought with the 
boundless love of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with the boundless love of Jesus Christ. To oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was brought with. The boundless love of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior, isn't he?
I'm just going to guide us through a pastoral prayer. There are still people receiving communion. There are people still seeking prayers for healing. And there are people still receiving prayers of blessing. And remember, there are two here and two back there. And it is entirely appropriate for you to go at any, mo at any point during this brief season of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess that this is what we need. We need some sort of tangible reminder that the resurrection, as big as it is and as big as it continues to, me, continues to be, that it is still small enough to go with me into my Monday. Not in a private sort of way, not in an individualistic sort of way, but certainly in a personal sort of way. God, we ache to experience what Mary got to experience in the garden. Call us by name. And in calling us by name, God, remind us that you are keenly aware, deeply aware, perhaps more aware than we are of what it is that we face day in and day out, disease, disruption, the fracture of relationship, God, go with us there. We don't want the disease to have the last word. We don't want the divorce to have the last word. We don't want poverty to have the last word. We don't want depression. We don't want a sense of anxiety or despair to have the last word. God, go with us so that you, so that you can have the last word, the one that only you can have. Go with us. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. We remember Shirley Bennett. She's recovering from a stroke. Be with her, God, as she continues to recover. Be the last word in her situation, a word for life and help and hope. We pray for Lori Smith as she recovers from surgery. Be the last word in that situation. We continue to pray for Bobby McKenzie, God, on this Easter Sunday, we need for you to have the last word. Perhaps you are aware, church, of people who are struggling, people who are hurting, perhaps physically, but maybe it's relationally, people who are in despair, anxiety. I want to encourage you right now to consider that person by name and pray for him, pray for her by name in the hopes in the hopes that the resurrection would enact change, yes, on a cosmic scale, but on a very small and personal scale as well. Pray for that one that you know needs to be prayed for right now. Prayers for blessing are still available. The side of the sanctuary, the back.
will move toward the conclusion of our time of prayer together, as we always do. With the Lord's Prayer, if you are visiting with us today, we will make sure that these words are on the screen in front of you, and we will pray this prayer today using the language of debts and debtors. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.